I often hear a lot, you can't get paid in Medicaid. And that's actually not true. There are a number of really amazing opportunities through federal and state funding. And so I think the first thing that entrepreneurs should know is that that is a myth and that there is actually quite a lot of opportunity. And in some ways more so because it's a little bit more of a blue ocean in terms of innovation. Welcome to the Redox Podcast, where we explore the intersection of healthcare and technology with some of our industry's most notable contributors. I'm your host, Nico Skivaski. In my day job, I'm the co-founder and president of Redox, where we're on a mission to enable the frictionless adoption of technology in healthcare. We started the show to share what we're learning and hopefully allow you to skip some steps as you embark on your journey through making healthcare a little bit better. So without further ado, I welcome you to the Redox Podcast. Rachel Dixon is the executive director and president of Prime Health, a nonprofit based in Denver that convenes an ecosystem of innovators dedicated to improving the health and well-being of all Coloradans. I'm fortunate enough to sit on the board of this organization and have had the great pleasure of seeing Rachel in action as she has transformed Prime Health to meet the new demands of our ever-changing healthcare landscape in 2020. Some of the programs in Prime Health have received national acclaim for their novel ways. They've brought together stakeholders from the health tech startup community with providers focused on underserved populations, supported by various government programs and initiatives. As a startup founder, I've always ran away from government collaboration, while in contrast, Rachel sees it as an immense opportunity for startups to make an impact for the populations who need it most. We'll definitely get into the specifics here, as I imagine some of you share my skepticism. Rachel also has played and is playing a pivotal role in Colorado's response to the COVID-19 pandemic, serving as one of the governor-appointed e-health commissioners chairing telehealth and broadband work groups, and is also the telehealth tech chair focused on the response in general, or the telehealth czar, as some would call it. Rachel, welcome to the Redox podcast. Hi, Nico. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Super excited to have you here. So I want to I want to start with the Colorado's COVID-19 response. So you were pulled into that effort to guide the state's strategy on telehealth. Can you give us an overview of what Colorado's doing in that regard? Yeah. So Colorado did something really cool in response to the pandemic. So back in March, when we really started to see what was happening, the governor very quickly stood up something called the Innovation Response Task Force trying to harness the power, speed, and innovation of the private sector in support of the government and healthcare communities in addressing the pandemic. And so as part of that, we saw amazing leaders coming from all over the place, thousands and thousands of volunteers that signed up within days, willing to volunteer technology, expertise, time, energy, and resources to really help out in any way they could. As part of organizing and harnessing those efforts, I was asked to support in the telehealth work. So Colorado's director of the Office of eHealth Innovation, Carrie Pycoach, was temporarily redeployed to be to oversee all of telemedicine efforts for the state of Colorado. And as part of that, in my role as eHealth Commissioner and volunteer in the IRT, I was assigned as telehealth technology chair. So my role was really to understand all of the different technologies, all of the different options, all of the different resources, and try to help coordinate and figure out how to leverage those in support of state emergency response goals. And how did that play out? Is, is Colorado using various technologies in that, or is it more like suggestions to providers on how they can utilize technologies for 
telehealth? Yeah, it was an amazing, it was an amazing thing to see. Um, really, really pretty incredible. We had thousands of volunteers uh, and the state did a fantastic job coordinating all of that effort. In the space I was working in, we had, I think, more than 150 companies that stepped up and said, here's how we can help. And some amazing projects came out of that, one of which was called COVID Line, um, which was a project where we developed in partnership with Clinica Colorado and a a number of other volunteers, a free phone line using provider volunteers where anybody could call in and talk to a provider about their questions or concerns free of charge, ask questions about COVID, get advice, all of those things. And that was available in English and Spanish and and really intended to serve people who are uninsured or otherwise didn't have access to healthcare. So that was an incredible one. There were a number of other pilots that came out of that for in-home remote patient monitoring for high-risk individuals. There was a really cool pilot with a company called Kinza around thermometers, uh, and in particular, how do we support rural communities and in COVID testing and tracing using technology. There were amazing projects that happened around thinking about the role of telemedicine in keeping care continuity happening, access to care. Nice. I actually have a Kinza thermometer that we use for our four-year-old, and Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that they were like getting pulled into these initiatives. That's that's really cool. I think, you know, these sort of remote, I don't know, it's probably hard to call Kinza like a remote diagnostics, but it seems like it's a a trend that's popping up more ways to to measure patients from from afar. How how are they being used in that program? Like were people measuring their temperatures before going somewhere or like being like done done via telehealth? They would also use a Kinza thermometer. How how did that work? Yeah, so there were a few programs. One, there were about 900 thermometers that were sent to rural communities and distributed by schools so that, because if you you recall, thermometers sold out for quite some time. And so it was really around kind of how do we identify? So they were used in um, skilled nursing facilities and nursing homes for healthcare workers, in schools and with children. And then interestingly enough, we actually just heard and and the recording is available on the Office of E-Health Innovation website. But there was a testimonial from a woman from one of these rural communities talking about how her husband is a firefighter. And when we had the wildfires break out, it was a requirement that all firefighters needed to have a thermometer so that they could be safe. And because they had already received a thermometer through this Kinza pilot, they were able to use the thermometer to support her husband so that he was able to work and, and be safe and keep the other firefighters safe. So what we saw was by distributing these thermometers, one, we were able to more efficiently track, you know, what was happening in a community in terms of, of that kind of stuff, identify earlier, and then also, too, that there just ended up being so many uses for, for that. So you think about something like access to a thermometer and how incredibly impactful that can be. Many of our listeners are telehealth vendors uh, providing all sorts of flavors of that loaded term. What should these organizations know as they're attempting to collaborate with federal, state, and local efforts? Yeah, I think the, the most important thing to know is that there really is a lot of opportunity and a lot of potential 
in the public health sector. So when I think about federal, state, local efforts, what we're really talking about there is public health programs, Medicaid, Medicare, Child Health Plan Plus is what we call it in Colorado, otherwise known as CHIP, Indian Health Services, and, and even in the uninsured space, there are some really amazing opportunities to partner with public health and safety net health organizations. I often hear a lot, you can't get paid in Medicaid, and that's actually not true. There are a number of really amazing opportunities through federal and state funding, through foundation funding, and all these other things in terms of how to make an impact. And so I think the first thing that entrepreneurs should know is that that is a myth and that there is actually quite a lot of opportunity, and in some ways more so because it's a little bit more of a blue ocean in terms of innovation. <clears throat> and if you can figure out how to align with Medicaid, how to you know, make your product or your solution financially sustainable um, and applicable in a Medicaid environment, there is a ton of opportunity. I think the other thing that, that people don't realize, you know, I hear this a lot. So as you know, we work with thousands of, of entrepreneurs and in one of our programs, we, we survey. And so each year we have about 20 companies that we work with in a, in a program we call The Challenge. And so every year I ask them, you know, who here knows the difference between Medicaid and Medicare? Who here knows what an FQHC is or what a RAE is, right? And, and almost always it's less than 10% of companies. You know, one year out of, out of 20 companies, only two confidently knew the difference between Medicaid and Medicare, and only one knew what an FQHC stood for. FQHC stands for a federally qualified health center. At the same time, everybody wants a meeting with Denver Health without realizing that Denver Health is a federally qualified health center, one of the state's main Medicaid providers, in addition to being the, one of the largest hospitals in the state. And so it's it's those kinds of things where where even just understanding this this aspect of healthcare and and knowing things like by the end of 2020, 30% of the Colorado population will be enrolled in Medicaid. And we expect that number to continue to increase in 2021. Wow. So if you're thinking about your total addressable market and you're not thinking about the 30% of the population that is that is insured by the largest payer in the United States, which is Medicaid, you're really missing an opportunity. And I think that that's also important in terms of provider organizations don't want to split their patient populations. And most organizations do take Medicaid. And so thinking too about how are you how are you thinking about the broad accessibility and applicability of your solution? It's necessary that you be thinking about Medicaid. So how do you even start to learn about things like this? It seems like, you know, there's, you'll find yourself on government websites, reading small print, reading a lot of kind of convoluted text. How, like, how do you dive into that space? What? Public health is confusing? And <laughs> yeah, so that's actually, you know, that's something that we teach. So I've been working in innovation and Medicaid in Colorado for seven years. And up until two years ago when I took over Prime, I was working for one of the largest health organizations in Colorado, also happened to be a Medicaid organization. And as the director of telemedicine, I was a buyer, right? And I was vetting a lot of different technologies. I was assessing their value and 
whether or not they could be implemented in my organization as well as hundreds of other provider organizations that I supported in my role. And what I found in talking with companies is that they just had no idea and that it can be really hard and, and confusing to learn this stuff. It is the economics do work differently. The policies do work differently. The culture of a safety net organization can be different from what you experience in a, in a large commercial system like um, a Cleveland Clinic or a Mayo, for example. So when I, when I started working with Prime and really thinking about how do we advance safety net innovation at the state and national level, one of the first things that we started was we really need to create some educational programming for this. So we actually teach this work through what we call the Innovation Academy. And so we teach all sorts of things. Uh, we start actually with a federal org chart of, you know, you may know about one or two of these organizations, right, or departments, you might know about the FDA, for example, but you might not know that the FCC actually puts out millions of dollars in terms of telemedicine funding and supporting digital health advancement. You might not know that we have something called the Office of the National Coordinator of Health IT that does and spearheads amazing work federally in terms of data. You might not know that we have a Center for Medicaid and Medicare Innovation specifically focused on that, that we have all of these other departments and organizations, HRSA, for example, which focuses on rural health, safety net health, and a number of other things, puts out tons of funding every year for telehealth, as does SAMHSA, which is the agency that oversees mental health and substance use. And so we start there in terms of here are all of the different people that are actually influencing your work, your company, your ability to be successful, and the healthcare ecosystem that you're trying to sell into. We also talk about things like, you know, what are the different types of organizations, how to understand what motivates them, what drives them, what they're accountable to, what their pain points are. We talk about things like how to get paid in Medicaid, how those financial systems work, what are quality and incentive measures, what is a PMPM, a per member per month, and, and what does that mean and how can you impact that? We talk about reimbursement. What are, you know, I'm, I'm continuously surprised by how many digital health and telehealth companies don't know that aspects of their solution are reimbursable and billable through claims and that they don't think about that in terms of their sales strategy. So, you know, when you're thinking about your pitch to a health system, you know, on the one hand, you can be like, my solution's really, really cool. It does this super neat thing. And maybe I can make a case for how it improves efficiency or how it'll make your providers happier or your patients happier, or it's super cool for diabetes or whatever, <clears throat> without realizing that they could also be saying, and I can help you close that 5% gap in your quality measure related to chronic disease management and help make sure that you capture that $250,000 of revenue that you're at risk for, that the solution would pay for itself or that you can actually be billing these new codes with this solution. And so, yeah, my solution costs, you know, a dollar a patient a month, but you're actually able to now make $30 per patient per month or whatever that looks like. So we are, so that's part of what we do is, is really helping people to understand 
not just what you can do and what are all of the different ways that you can demonstrate our return on investment and value to your, you know, your target audience in terms of who you're selling to, but also that there are probably audiences that you didn't realize that you could be selling to, um, that public-private partnerships are a really great thing in terms of partnering with the Department of Public Health and Environment, for example, or the Office of Behavioral Health, both of which in Colorado are very innovative and regularly partner with private companies to achieve population health and public health goals. And then also, too, how do you even find that information? Do you realize that a lot of these contracts, a lot of this information is public? You can go look it up and see exactly you know, what somebody's held accountable to, and in many cases, how they're doing and achieving that goal so that when you go and meet with them, you can speak directly to them about their experience. So we really try to just help people understand, you know, what are all the different levers that you have? What are all the ways you can demonstrate value? And then how do you figure that out? Awesome. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've done a bunch of accelerators and programs with content for startups around the country, and none of them, literally none of them touch on the things that you're talking about there, how to actually collaborate with government. I, I, so I think that's really unique. And so the Innovation Academy sounds like an, an amazing program to dive into that. And I know it's gotten national acclaim for, for doing just that and the opportunity to kind of bring that out of the Colorado bubble into other regions and, and really just you know, talk about that in general for vendors who are looking to, to use that as a pathway to market. Thank you for saying that. It definitely is unique. And, and we've been doing it for two years now. And the, the testimonials that we get from it are, are pretty amazing. We, you know, when we survey companies, we get things like, this is the most useful training I've ever participated again. Can I take it twice? Can I have this for every state? And part of that too, when you're, when you're thinking about the perspective of an entrepreneur working nationally, Trying to understand and figure out state by state, because every state is different when it comes to healthcare and in particular health systems and health economics, that stuff can be really opaque and and really, you know, difficult to learn and, and figure out kind of where you fit in. And so that's something we're really proud of about this program is, is we want entrepreneurs to be successful. We know that this stuff is complicated. And so we really try to just say, you know, here is the information. If nothing else, know this about these environments. And if you're going into a new state, here's where you can find that stuff. Fortunately, you can find most of that stuff in each state department on their website. But what kind of terms did you be searching for? Where do you look it up? All of that. So oftentimes when you're looking to collaborate uh, with some government funded effort, it comes through the form of like a grant that you have to respond to or an RFP. And from my experience, what, you know, from the, the grants and RFPs that we've written for, when we see who they're, you know, First off, we haven't won any. And second of all, when we see who wins, it's typically like your very large status quo sort of incumbents in the space or like collaborations between some consulting company and a vendor who wins in that sort of collaborative setting. Are you actually seeing startups get awarded funding or or is, is it kind of your mission to help that happen more? And kind of a second part to that, like, do you think that the government will actually work with startups in that capacity? So yes, I, I do see examples of startups getting funding, but from the state directly. For example, Kinza receives state funding. There are a number of other organizations that do, but but more likely what we see 
or more often what we see is that safety net organizations, whether they're Medicaid payer administrators or provider organizations, will receive funding to partner with a startup company. And so that's, that's I think, often a better approach and where you're going to have a higher rate of success is if you can partner with a safety net organization and, and figure out how to demonstrate value and how to work with them to achieve goals that are aligned with state goals, it's much easier to kind of do that funding. And, and you often need a provider champion, in my experience, to kind of be on that proposal with you in terms of that funding. So speaking of reimbursements, one of the the barriers that was kind of removed in the adoption of telehealth because of the pandemic was increasing the reimbursement rate and and really having parity with an in-person visit. I, I know that's something that, that you've probably dug into a bunch. Like, is that something that's going to stick around? When is that going to expire? How should people be thinking about talking about reimbursements when it comes to telehealth as they're positioning their products for health systems? I can speak to Colorado, and then I can also speak to the national landscape a little bit. So in Colorado this year, we passed a bill, state bill 20-212, uh, really moving forward some of the, the parity policy that we have. And so prior to this year, Colorado did reimburse for telehealth, did have parity. But in the, you know, one of the things we learned this year was that there were still some opportunities for us to really strengthen that legislation to make it more accessible and more adoptable. And so we did a bunch of that. It's it's really interesting to see. And one of the really big wins in terms of the Medicaid space was that federally qualified health centers and rural health clinics are now able to be reimbursed for telehealth at the same rate that they're reimbursed for in-person services, which is a huge achievement. Historically, those organizations have not been able to because of their reimbursement structure and that those designations come from federal contracts that, that have just historically made it a little bit more complicated. And so opening that up really did a lot in terms of opening up who could provide telehealth and get reimbursed for telehealth. We did see some executive orders around relaxing compliance and security regulations and things like that, just to, to make it as easy as possible for providers to use telehealth technologies in the emergency response. Some of that is still TBD, right? We're, we're still sort of seeing where that's going to land with HIPAA at the federal level. And then also at the federal level, they have been making changes too in terms of increasing services that are reimbursable in Medicare and other things. So we've really seen some pretty huge advances this year in terms of what is reimbursable for telehealth. And it is the idea that you know we knock down these barriers now, adoption increases, so that kind of changes behavior, both providers and patients in utilizing telehealth. And then over time, we see some of those barriers increased again. And hopefully, you know, now that our behavior has changed, we can overcome those barriers, like using HIPAA-compliant technology or being okay with it being reimbursed at a lower rate because it also comes with lower costs. Yes, I think so. I do think that we took some pretty huge leaps forward this year in terms of what is reimbursed and reimbursable. I do think that this will be an ongoing conversation for the next couple of years. So like just to give you a, a statistic to put this into context, 
In February of 2020 in Colorado, less than 20% of all Medicaid encounters were conducted over telehealth. By May of 2020 in Colorado, more than 80% of all encounters were being conducted over telehealth in terms of what we were billing for. So that is crazy. I mean, we also saw obviously a huge drop in in-person services. And now we're seeing that balance out. But when I talk with provider organizations, there are many organizations who prior to COVID weren't really doing any telehealth at all, or they were kind of thinking about it, or they were sort of flirting with it, but not doing very much. And in response to the pandemic, many of these organizations, I mean, some of the organizations like in our mental health space in particular, we have a community mental health center, mental health center of Denver, and they transitioned from a little bit of telehealth to a hundred percent telehealth in 48 hours. And so, and then have been using it all year and, and really kind of getting a feel for it. The same in the primary care space. So a lot of these organizations are now saying they're committed to keeping telehealth and that they really see and understand the value now and and the, you know are, are starting to think through where and how they want to make this a sustainable and long-term part of their organization. But a lot of the time what I'm hearing is that they're committed to, for whatever reason, the number seems to be 30% of encounters conducted over telehealth going forward. Hmm. Uh, but I've been hearing that a lot. So yes, I, I definitely think it's here to stay. But I do think that as we, you know, as we go forward, we'll have to have ongoing conversations around financial sustainability, cost containment, and finding whatever that equilibrium is going to be for reimbursement. Yeah, I was going to say that, you know, starting at 20% in the Medicaid population in, in, in February already sounds really high compared to what we're seeing in the private sector, which was, you know, low single digit usage of telehealth before the pandemic. So it sounds like Colorado was already on that path from at least from the Medicaid perspective. Yeah, Colorado is really cool when it comes to digital health and, and telehealth. <laughs> we had already had some parity legislation in place and and have been progressively every year, at least since 2015, updating and passing legislation and expanding the ways it can be used and you know using state and, and federal funding to explore different things and, and test different concepts. So we were already well positioned to respond in an innovative way with COVID. Uh, even just things like the fact that the state of Colorado has a governor's office of e-health innovation and a state telehealth work group and a state broadband work group focused on broadband for healthcare. And all of these other initiatives are, are pretty unique nationally and, and really cool to be a part of. So one of the things that well, I was talking to a head of strategy at a very large unnamed health system here in Denver the other day, and he said that um, if you look at the finances of it, reimbursement on telehealth should actually be higher, or or for it to make sense for their organization, it needs to be higher than an in-person visit because when a patient comes in, they can actually order labs, do other things that can increase the revenue from that visit. And so when they divert a patient from in-person to telehealth, even if they're getting um, reimbursed at the same rate, they're actually still losing revenue because they're not able to do a lot of things that they would do in an in-person setting. How should health systems be thinking about their long-term telehealth strategy, given that it could actually decrease revenue in that situation? Ooh, 
juicy question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have heard that before. The other side of that is that using telehealth in many ways also increases efficiencies and reduces costs for an organization. So it, it makes it easier to recruit and staff providers. You can have providers working from home. You can have remote providers. You can kind of more tightly control the number of hours of provider time you pay for, in particular for specialty care, maximize those resources, support multiple clinics at the same time, maximize the use of your physical space and have a reduced need for physical space. All of those things. So yes, the ability to collect labs or sort of upsell, <laughs> not really, you know, it's not really upselling, but in a way, right, if somebody comes in and, oh, while you're here, let's get you that vaccine, let's draw some labs, let's check your mm -hmm. cholesterol, all of those things. Yes, absolutely. Those are all things that you add to a visit when the person is physically in the clinic. And that is still an important part of healthcare. I, I very much believe that, you know, an ideal world for telehealth is, is always that it's going to be in some sort of hybrid model where patients do still need to physically come in and see providers and, you know, be present in the clinic. And telehealth is really, so the way that I see telehealth and, and telehealth strategy in an organization is that it's a tool and it's a really great tool for targeted strategies. So when you're thinking about pain points in your organization, whether it be a population or a disease state that you want to improve outcomes for or measures for, whether it's a, you know, a provider resource issue that you're having, whether it's that you're having a hard time recruiting in your area or you're overpaying for psychiatry and, you know, or whatever that is, there are different ways that you can use telehealth to support that as well as if you're having a lot of no-show rates, a lot of cancellation rates, if your patient population is having a difficult time getting into the clinic, if they have access barriers, if they have a hard time finding childcare, things like that. There are a lot of cases where some care is better than no care. And, you know, you can really use these solutions in a lot of ways to keep patients engaged. I also think it's important to remember that telehealth isn't just video visits, right? It's not a it's not a one or the other where either they're in person in the clinic or you see them over video and and that's the extent of the telehealth universe. Telehealth is actually defined as including four different modalities, live video as well as asynchronous care or store and forward care where Things like getting a radiology consult or a dermatology consult, you can do that with medical imaging and sharing a note. That can be huge cost savings for an organization, as well as an efficiency improvement. MHealth is kind of like mobile health, so thinking about like smartphones, apps, stuff like that, but different solutions where you can focus on specific disease states or populations to keep them engaged to monitor a chronic disease, symptom trackers for everything from diabetes to cancer to perinatal care. I mean, there are behavioral health. There are all sorts of different solutions that you can use to generate revenue or to save money. And then as well as remote patient monitoring, which many of the remote patient monitoring technologies are reimbursable. So things like in-home devices and wearables and things like that that integrate into an EMR and support care. I mean, there are just a bunch of different ways for it to be used. 
Well, so that's an area that we also teach to the Innovation Academy focused on our healthcare partners is really what are all of the different ways that you can design a strategy that's cost effective and sustainable and strategic for your organization? Um, what are all the different ways that you do this? And, and really just making sure that you're thinking about telehealth as a tool and not as kind of its own separate service line that that isn't really integrated into the rest of your care and your and your goals. Sweet. So switching gears a little bit, my first interaction with the Colorado health tech community was through the Prime Health Challenge back in 2017. So the challenge from my perspective was kind of like a pitch competition, but instead of winning money or honor and glory, we actually won pilots with healthcare delivery organizations who were in the audience who raised their hand and committed to doing those pilots on the spot, which I think is a truly unique model. You know, I was living in Madison, Wisconsin at the time, and we were kind of looking at different regions and saying, what sort of programs exist in these regions? Uh, how do we get involved in their innovation community? And Prime Health just kind of laid that out directly. And they said, apply here, come, we will put you in front of our health systems. And if they want to work with you, then we will actually fund those pilots through grants from the, the Prime Health Innovation Challenge. Did I describe the challenge correctly? What, what, what would you add to that? Yeah, absolutely. I would say that you do also win honor and glory and like <laughs> in two pilots. But yes, absolutely. So so the challenge is is funded, you know, shout out to the Colorado Health Foundation who who funds us and enables us to award that pilot funding. We've been doing it for seven years. So the judges for that, for that process, it's a six-month program. And they're all leaders, experts, stakeholders, and really kind of the influencers of Colorado healthcare, and from a bunch of different perspectives. So we have in that group this year, for example, we have the state Medicaid director, who's amazing, as well as the director of the Office of eHealth Innovation, representatives from Department of Public Health and Environment, all these other great groups. We have CEOs, CIOs, CMOs from some of the largest health systems in Colorado to uh, rural one-doc practices and clinics to behavioral health providers. I mean, it's really a, it's a cool mix of here are all these different people. And so those are the judges for the challenge. And, and really what they're looking at in the challenge is, is this solution something that is relevant to our current priorities? Does this have the potential to make an impact in our communities, is it viable in our market, right? Can we actually use this? How is it sustainable? You know, is the technology accessible? Is it gonna meet the needs of our population? All of those things. And so part of the value that we provide to companies in this process, and and we do hear from a lot of entrepreneurs that they they really love it. Part of that is that we enable you to speak directly with this audience and to get feedback. So before we get to the judging rounds, there are opportunities to do what we call speed networking, which is kind of like speed dating, where you get to meet all the judges, tell them what you think, get their feedback on, well, yeah, your solution sounds really cool, but I would never use it for this reason. And a lot of the times it's something you would have never known and, and that you might not get the opportunity to hear in a sales meeting or in a sales pitch or from an outreach email. And so it's a really cool way for people to understand, oh, I didn't realize that was so important to you. Let me just add that. Um, that's easy. <clears throat> and so as we go through and then at the end, in the final round, we do a lot of matchmaking. So because of our relationships in the community here, 
with providers where, you know, we're taking these kind of finalists and, and going across the state to all of these different partners saying, you know, hey, we know that maternal health is a priority of yours, or we know that you're really trying to think about something like redox for, for interoperability and EMR integration, or, you know, you're focused on patient engagement. Here's a, here's a solution called Access Mobile that's great for that, or things like that. And, and so I think an example, just to, just to put this into context for people of why this is so cool, we had an early stage company at the time called Care on Location, and they were a telemedicine um, provider as well as a telemedicine hardware company. And they were still figuring out a little bit what their product was in the hardware side. They had some great ideas, but hadn't really like gotten a pilot yet in the community. And so when they came into the challenge and we were working with all these safety net providers, one of them was this organization called Colorado Coalition for the Homeless. And they have this clinic, Stout Street Clinic, which is the main healthcare for the homeless provider in Denver, caring for about 6,000 people experiencing homelessness. And in talking with them, they were like, well, yeah, this is cool, but we don't really do telemedicine right now. And in my conversations with them, what they needed help with was helping to build relationships with people who were unhoused and, and, you know, help build that trust and that safety and help try to get them into the clinic and that they had a hard time getting people to come into the clinic, whether it was because they had access barriers or didn't feel safe or, or for whatever other reason they were unable to, to come in physically. And so at the time, they were just launching a program where they were sending out nurses and behavioral health providers to just go talk to people wherever they may be in the park or whatever and build relationships. And so we were like, well, this telemedicine provider, what if we were to take, at the time they had a briefcase that they were using for like paramedic EMT services, what if we were to convert that into a backpack that a nurse could wear that could fold out into a fully equipped telemedicine clinic so that you could do street medicine outreach? And then that way, the nurse could administer services in the field supervised by a physician so that those services are reimbursable and we could just do all of that care on the spot for somebody. So if we're worried about an infection in their foot related to diabetes, we can actually just do that care right there on the spot instead of trying to make an appointment or trying to arrange for transportation or trying to do all these other things. And so they were like, oh my God, that would be amazing. Nobody's ever done that before. How cool. Let's do it. And so that was a pilot that came out of the challenge. And so care on location, all they really had to do was take this briefcase product that they had been developing and turn it into a backpack model, which didn't exist. And so they now have three patents filed on it. And then together with, with Prime Health through the challenge, Stout Street and Care on Location, we co-developed a new model for care that Stout Street has since presented on at national conferences, has been expanded. They love that model so much, going back to your question about state funding, that when the pandemic happened, they were like, hey, we really, these backpacks work so well. We only have two. We need more of them. And so Care on Location and Stout Street collaborated submitted a grant to the Office of eHealth Innovation, received funding, enough funding to buy a backpack for every nurse Oh wow! so that they could have one in every facility, every shelter, every outreach team. So that's really a lot of what it is, is taking these solutions and saying, how do we get these into the market? What are the barriers, whether it's on the healthcare side 
or in terms of a blind spot in your solution that we can address to get stuff in the hands of patients. That's amazing. So for listeners out there who are looking to participate in the challenge, I know we're kind of in the middle of it right now, but you know, from my perspective, Testimonial, I think it's an amazing program that all vendors who are working with healthcare organizations and various innovation communities should consider joining. But yeah, anyways, so the challenge, we're in the middle of it right now. We have the the presentations coming up. Like, how, how do people get involved? They can come and watch the the presentations, right? But um, like, when's the next one happening and, and how should people you know, engage with it? Yeah, well, people are in luck this year because it is a virtual event, uh, so they can participate online. The challenge is being held on November 13th. There's information on our website, which is www.primehealthco, like co for colorado.com. And so if they go there, they can get information on what it is, when it is, how to sign up, all of that. But yeah, the more the merrier. And then in terms of getting involved, we open applications for the next challenge in early spring of next year. So look for that in March to sign up. And in the meantime, there anybody and everybody is welcome to reach out to us. We're always interested in learning about new solutions and making new friends. So to get in touch with us, email telehealth at primehealthco.com. Nice. And yeah, what I would suggest is signing up to watch the challenge, checking out how the companies positioned themselves this year, which ones were successful. And then when the applications open next year, you can kind of go into that with more knowledge of, of how the challenge actually works to be more successful as, as you get into it. And, you know, I know on the show today, we talked about the Academy as well, which is also open nationwide to, to organizations looking to figure out how to better collaborate with the government, both federally and in Colorado. So that's something that they could find on the website. But but what are other things that, you know, Prime Health does more than just those two programs? If you want to just give us a quick commercial for it, that'd be awesome. And then we can kind of use that to, to wrap it up. Sure. Thank you. So within the Academy, we have content for both healthcare systems, provider organizations, providers, as well as content targeted towards entrepreneurs interested in impact-driven care. So both of those are available on the website. We have all sorts of trainings, resources, materials. We also have the largest regional health innovation event in Colorado and in our region is called the Innovation Summit. We do that in partnership with the Office of eHealth Innovation, and that is the second week of November, virtual this year and broken out just to make it a little bit easier on everybody in this in this Zoom fatigue climate. It's a series of three days with kind of shorter segments targeted around several key themes um, related to health innovation that we're seeing in our region. So they're welcome to attend that. There's tons of networking and connection opportunities there, virtual Ask Me Anything events with leaders and, and all sorts of stuff. So it's a really cool thing. And then the last bucket of work that we do, we call Hands on Help which is where we do advising and consulting as well as custom programs and, and custom projects. So everything from designing, you know, specific tailored and implementing programs for provider organizations. And we also do advising and consulting with entrepreneurs who are wanting a little bit of one-on-one -on -one coaching and feedback in terms of, hey, I really want to be successful in Colorado can you take a look at my solution, help me figure out 
what I need or how do I make my value proposition to a provider stronger, all of that kind of stuff we're happy to do as well. So those are, those are our main programs. Well, and if, if people want to reach out to you directly, should they reach out through Prime Health or can they hit you up on like LinkedIn or Twitter? Where, where are you found on the world of the internet? <laughs> uh, I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Innovation Rach. I'm on LinkedIn, Rachel Dixon Prime Health. And they can definitely reach out to me through, through those as well as my email is rachel at primehealthco.com. Although we have a really amazing team, so I, I do recommend that if you want a fast response, the best way to get a hold of us is telehealth at primehealthco.com. I love your immediate backtracking after you gave out your email. You're like, wait, but... <laughs> Uh, well, this was amazing. Thank you so much for being on the show and sharing uh, some of your knowledge here. Uh, the work you're doing with Prime Health is is really important. I think a lot of other communities will be inspired by this and will probably reach out to figure out how, how you can help or just be inspired to kind of create programs of their own in this regard. And of course, you know, the work you're doing for Colorado in general is really important as we're trying to figure out how to how to manage ourselves in this new world of, of quarantine and pandemic. So thank you very much for being on the show, but more importantly, for all that work that you're doing. And um, really appreciate you being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Nico. This was a blast. Hey everyone, Nico here again. I just wanted to drop some quick resources while we still have your attention. Visit primehealthcode.com for information on their programs and most importantly, to register for the Innovation Summit. And that'll include the pitches and award of pilots from all the startups participating in the Prime Health Challenge. It's always a great event. Redox normally buys tacos and margaritas, but this year it's virtual. So that means it's gotten a lot cheaper to attend as well. So be sure to check it out. Rachel, thanks again for being with us and sharing your knowledge with the world. And to all of you out there in podcast land, reach out to podcast at redoxengine.com if you have questions, feedback, ideas. And finally, be sure to check out our new sister podcast, Shift 6, hosted by my co-founder and Redox CTO, James Lloyd. This podcast dives deep on the technical side of health tech for those nerds or aspiring nerds out there. I'm in the latter category myself and have found these episodes fascinating, so be sure to check that out. Well, that's it for episode 28. Thank you so much for listening to the Redox Podcast.